dear God, you hold us fast. Um, you, you keep us. And uh, even when we fail, when we stumble, um, even when we indulge sin and act like the fool, God, you hold us and you keep us. And um, you are gracious when we are stumbling because of Christ. Um, you secured our salvation. You carry us through this life and there will be a day when you bring us home. And Lord, we do long for that. Um, God, everything that we have in this world is just passing, it's fading. And I know for uh, many of us uh, who are young and uh, just starting their careers, it seems like we got a lot of time ahead of us. But I pray that we would look beyond 10, 20 years from now and project our eyes towards the future, eternity future, and live in light of that truth. So as we get into your word, God, help us to look forward to that day when you will come back and to live in light of it, O Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's, um, let's do a, a quick recap. In my first sermon, we t- talked about the intrinsic value of work. And, um, and work is intrinsically valuable because it is the means by which we glorify God. The product of our work, what we do, is a reflection of our power, of our strength, of our wisdom, of our resourcefulness, of our creativity, of our intelligence. Our work reflects who we are, but who we are are creatures made in the image of God. So what we do is ultimately a reflection of who our God is. Secondly, the reason why work is intrinsically valuable is because through work, uh, we serve our fellow man, thereby fulfilling the second greatest commandment that our Lord Jesus Christ has given to us, which is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And But not only do we fulfill the second greatest commandment by working faithfully, but God, through our work, provides for humanity. And so we are used by God. But um, a lot of you guys know as you guys go um, day to day into your, into your job, uh, work can be painful. It can be hard. You're going you're gonna to try to do this. You're going to try to glorify God. You're going to try to set your mind on the things of eternity, and you might fail. Uh, you might get discouraged. And uh, sometimes the issue is with us. Right? Uh, sometimes the issue is with maybe your colleagues or your supervisor or your manager. But the ultimate reason as to why work is so painful is because of the fall. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, the corruption of work. Uh, many of you guys are aware of the infamous investment manager, Bernie Madoff. You guys know him? You guys know him? Um, he ran a massive Ponzi scheme, which he confessed to have begun in the 90s. And you guys know what a Ponzi scheme is, right? It's kind of, okay, yeah. So he, he was real messed up. Uh, he uh, eventually was found out December 11, 2008, he was arrested on accounts of 11 federal offenses, including security fraud wire fraud, and money laundering. He ended up defrauding his clients of $65 billion. <laughs> $65 billion, a single guy, right? $65 billion. Uh, many lost their entire life savings. Um, well, uh, this thing goes down as the gr- largest financial fraud in the history of the United States of America. And uh, uh, he, he does apologize, um, and uh, this is what he says. He says, I've left a legacy of shame. And some, as some of my victims have pointed out to 
to my family and my grandchildren. This is something I will live in for the rest of my life. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, the story of Bernie Madoff is simply like, what has happened here? Right? What has happened here with Madoff is just, uh, uh, it's just one of the many things that have happened because of the fall of mankind. And you know, where did that begin? You guys know in the book of Genesis. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis. We're going to read through this. The activity of work and, uh, was never meant to be painful. It was uh, not supposed to be corrupt and perverted as we experience it today. But it, at one point, it was pleasant. Before the fall of mankind, when God created Adam and Eve, um, he called them to work. Let's read verse 26 to 28 of chapter 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Man, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The task of stewardship over creation is given from God to mankind. They are responsible to work the ground. They're responsible to care for the animals. But sadly, in Genesis chapter 3, we get the infamous story of the serpent's lie, Eve's deception, Adam's disobedience, and the fall of mankind. When God created Adam and Eve, he told them that they could eat from every fruit, from every tree in the garden, except for the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, But in Genesis chapter 3, Satan comes in the form of a serpent, and he comes to Eve to tempt her to sin against God. And in verse 5 in Genesis chapter 3, he says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Eve, after hearing this, she looked at the fruit, saw that it was good for food, that it was good for making her wash. She took of it, gave some to her husband. They both ate of it, and as a result of that, their eyes were opened. And shame, they felt shame, shame associated with their nakedness, and they covered themselves up. Innocence was lost. In his commentary on the fall, the Apostle Paul says the following in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. When Adam sinned, he ushered in sin into the world, along with death. Those of the Adamic race will be born with the sin nature and experience the pain of death. But our nature and our eternal destination was not the only thing affected by the fall. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 to 19, it says this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 to 19. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Work which was once enjoyable and pleasantly fruitful was now painful and toilsome. The initial disobedience of man resulted in essentially two things. The initial disobedience of man resulted in essentially two things that has affected the goodness of work, and that is the corruption of man and the corruption of creation. Those two things 
are the things that make your life miserable at work. And uh, many of you guys have come to experience this, this love-hate relationship, right? Um, for those of you who are in grad school, students, um, or if you guys just even remember the time when you were in undergrad in high school, how often did you guys look forward to summer break? You guys lived for it. You were excited for it. But when summer break came, it became very, you, you became very bored and restless. So without admitting it, you would look forward to the next school year. And for those of you who are working, uh, you have good days, you have bad days at work. For those of you who have mostly bad days at work, you know that it's better to have bad days at work than not to be working at all. What you are experiencing is the intrinsic goodness of work and at the same time the curse of the fall. And um, the point I want to make today, it's, uh, it's a pretty simple one. Uh, you don't even have to take notes, really. Um, work is going to be really frustrating. That's, that's the point, okay? Well, well duh. Uh, but it's... But um, it's, it's very important for you guys to internalize this truth. Because so many times we idealize work. We romanticize work. And for some of you, you idolize work. But work, what the Bible tells us, is frustrating. And it's never ultimately meant to fulfill. And this is not the way work is supposed to be. Tim Keller describes the effects of the fall by the following. He says, so companies assemble teams to work furiously for months or years to give birth to new products or ventures which may die a quick death in the marketplace. Star football players often suffer the effects of injuries throughout their lives. Brilliant entrepreneurs like Steve Jobs get thrown out of companies when times get tough. Few get invited back like Jobs was. The weeds or the computer viruses or the corruption scandals come back with a vengeance. Research into the properties of the atom become the basis for the atomic bomb. In other words, work, even when it bears fruit, is always painful, often miscarries, and sometimes kills us. Now, if I bring that into the context of the student life, uh, we know the, what the curse looks like. Uh, you're being overwhelmed with the pressure of exams, boards. Uh, you're doing group projects and having that one fool who slacks off and getting credit for everything else that you do, right? Uh, competing with classmates who cheat, spending hours trying to debug a program only to find out, I don't know, you guys missed a semicolon. Uh, it's a uh, life of a student is filled with thorns and thistles, but things don't change when you start working. When you start your career, some of you are not going to find the job that you want. Some of you are going to find the job that you want, but you're not going to get the pay that you want. Some of you, right? Some of you might not even get a job. But even for those of you who found your dream job that compensates you well, you have experienced troubles that are outside of your control. Sometimes you go into work and you have colleagues that make your life miserable. And uh, you might have an employer or manager or supervisor who is just frustrating, moody, unreasonable. Your hours might be demanding and excessive. Things don't turn out the way that you expect because of the curse. And um, this is a truth that you must internalize. You have to internalize this truth. You cannot ignore it. Again, like I said before, too many people idealize work and romanticize it. Many of you have been told that through hard work and diligence, you can become whatever you want to become. Uh, Some of you have the dreams of doing something innovative and cutting edge, while others of you have the ideal of helping those who are suffering. But you have to temper those goals and those pursuits with a dose of theological reality that this world is fallen, work is corrupt. Because you might not become what you set out to be. Some of you guys might not fulfill your career endeavors. You might not do something innovative and cutting edge. You might do something very boring and dull. The people that you seek to help who are suffering, those whose suffering you want to relieve, they might be the ones to make you suffer and make your life miserable. 
And you might think, oh, you know, James, you're such a Debbie Downer about work. But that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. And it goes even further. and says after your toil and your sweat, you're going to die. Right? It's just like work is going to be terrible. And then here's the climax. <laughs> you're you're going to be dead. You know, from dust we came to dust we shall return. And this needs to get inside of your brain. Work is corrupt. This world is corrupt. There's no such thing as an ideal job, a job without problems. You know, a number of people complain about their work, thinking somehow if they change their jobs or their careers, then they're going to be happy. And, you know, I admit that there are some jobs that are not as painful, that are not as stressful as, or as frustrating, but you cannot be so naive to think that that new position or that new career is not going to have problems of its own. Everything has been touched by the fall. Everything. So you think your job is lousy? Someone else has a job and his job is lousy too. You can rejoice in your misery together, right? You guys know Martin Lloyd-Jones? I'm sure you guys know Martin Lloyd-Jones. Your pastors love Martin Lloyd-Jones. I love the guy. Before he was a pastor, he was a renowned medical doctor. And now coming from a Korean household, this is the Korean-American dream, right? Not the American dream, the Korean-American dream, all right? Uh, this uh, This is unlimited bragging rights for the parents. It's like my son who is smart. My son who is wealthy and my son who is uh, helping people. And um, medicine is respectable in, I I would say, in almost every culture. And Lloyd-Jones wasn't just a doctor. He was one of the best doctors. But he made this choice to give up his practice for the sake of the ministry. And people naturally went up to him and said, why did you do that? Why did you give us such a promising career to go into ministry? The reason why he he did this is because of the limitations of medicine. Jones, in his early years, he worked as an assistant to the physician, famous physician, Sir Thomas Horder. And when he was reclassifying Horder's uh, medical cases, he realized that 70%, 70% of um, the cases could not be categorized under a medical criteria. The problem were basically this, quotes, eats too much or drinks too much. The problems people were facing did not result from an organic problem, but something that was spiritual. Their sinful lifestyle of gluttony and drunkenness caused them to have physical problems. And what, what Lloyd-Jones began to realize is that, hey, I'm just fixing these people up to, so that they can go back to a life of sin. And uh, he says this, when I came here, people said to me, why give up good work, a good profession? After all the medical professions, why give that up? If you had been a bookie, for instance, and wanted to give that up to preach the gospel, we should understand and agree with you and say that you were doing a grand thing. But medicine? A good profession? Healing the sick and relieving pain? One man even said this, If you were a solicitor and gave it up, I'd give you a pat on the back. But to give up medicine? Ah, well, I felt like saying to them, If you knew more about the work of a doctor, you would understand. We but spend most of our time rendering people fit to go back to their sin. I saw men on their sick beds. I spoke to them of their immortal souls. They promised grand things. Then they got better. And back they went to their old sin. I saw I was helping these men to sin and I decided that I would do no more of it. I wanted to, I want to heal souls. If a man has a diseased body and his soul is all right, he is all right to the end. But a man with a healthy body and a diseased soul is all right for 60 years or so and then he has to face an eternity of hell. Ah, yes, we have sometimes to give up those things which are good for that which is the best of all, the joy of salvation and the newness of life. 
Now, Lloyd-Jones felt the futility of his work, even in something as esteemed as medicine. Everybody loves medicine. It's prestigious. It's comfortable. There's security there. This man reached the pinnacle of human achievement. He reached the pinnacle of human achievement, and you know what he found? Nothing. And so he decided to go into ministry. You know, I want to say that's the reason why I do ministry as well. I want to directly deal with the problem of sin, commit all my time uh, to bring people to the gospel truth so that they might be saved. And, you know, when I started pastoral ministry, I wanted to change the world one soul at a time. I wanted to preach the word of God. I wanted to preach these awesome sermons. Souls would get convicted. They would repent and they would, uh, they would turn to the Lord. Angels would sing and I would be thanked, right? Uh, In my mind, it's just a wonderful thought. Um, but even the work of the ministry has not been untouched by the curse. As soon as my lofty, romanticized view of the church work fell from its heights, just like everything else fell in Genesis chapter 3. Man, I remember my first year, my first year uh, doing church. I'm like out there in Taiwan, I'm going to change this pagan nation, right? <laughs> you know, I'm going to do some amazing things. Uh, you know, I'm like going out, sharing the gospel, going on campus, ministering, counseling, and you know, pouring out my life. And instead of being thanked for the things that I do, a guy just stands up and says, you don't know what it feels like, slams the door in my face. And I'm just sitting down like, I'm just trying to help. You know? And uh, that first year, someone passed away from cancer and um, from our congregation. And, you know, he was a believer and I thank God for that. But it was, it was not a, a light thing. It was weighty on my soul. Um, people... I wanted to help, would despise my help. Ministry partners would turn against me. My own pastor tried to excommunicate me when I confronted him of his own sins. And while my good friends stood to the side to do nothing, except for Eric and Danny, they were there for me. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, people I would share the gospel to, and I would disciple, and then I would train. They would be the ones to turn their backs on Christ and turn to the world. As wonderful as pastoral ministry is, it's not exempt from the effects of the curse. Everything that we do, we're going to feel the joys of working because it is inherently good. But you are naive to think that there is a job out there that is sin-free, that is curse-free. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't change your studies if your studies are hard or they can't switch your jobs or careers. But I don't want you to pursue something that isn't there. Work job, career, without any thorns and thistles. Even your dream job will be filled with pain, tears, and sweat. It's biblical. So don't act like, don't act like work is going to fulfill you. Um, because it won't. So does that mean we go about life depressed? You know, without any hope? You know, without hope that things are going to get better? Does it mean that we just accept things the way that they are and be content with the fact that this is as good as it gets? And, um, you know, if this is all there is to life, man, it's, it's sad. Um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says the following. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 22 to 23. What has a man from all, all the toil and the striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Seeing that this is all there is to life, life under the sun, and life stinks. Work is a vexation. It's painful. It's hard. It's toilsome. And then at the end, our work has nothing to show for itself. 
Just think about that. At the end, our work has nothing to show for itself except for a product or service that will blow away with the wind of time, something that was going to be forgotten. A generation from now, who's going to marvel at your degree? Who's going to marvel at your position at a prestigious company? Nobody's going to care. How many of us have come into this room and just said, oh my goodness, Thomas Edison. Where would we be without you? Right? None of us do that. We don't care. Name 10 Nobel Peace Prize winners for me. 10. Probably don't know because you probably don't care. You don't even know, you don't even remember what these people have done. You don't even know their names. So all you can do is stand and live for the now. But if this is it, then there's every reason to be depressed. If this is all there is, and if you're just living for the now, if this is all there is, then you have every reason to be depressed if you cannot attain your dream job. If this is it, then there's every reason to be disillusioned if your dream job does not fulfill you in the way that you desired. And you know what? It never will. So with Solomon, we cry out, vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. Everything under the sun is vain. But as Christians, we believe that there is more to this world. With the Christian, we believe that there is a world beyond the sun, a world that transcends everything that we have before us. We believe in heaven and we believe in hell. We believe that our Lord God reigns supreme in heaven upon his throne. And in that world, there is no sin. In that world, there is no toil, no strife, no tears. There is no death. It is a world that is free from the viral effect of the curse. And the promise is given to those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ that they will inherit that kingdom. They're going to inherit that world. They're going to inherit that realm. As a Christian, we are to hope for a new world that will be established with the coming of Jesus Christ. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 23. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Because of the fall that resulted from Adam's transgression, all of creation was subjected unto corruption. But the promise is given that a day will come when that curse will be lifted up from this earth and the earth will be set free from the chains of the fall. It will be a day when the sons and daughters who have been justified by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ will resurrect from the dead in a glory that is in union with the Son of the living God. The drudgery of work, everything that you experience right now the pain and the suffering that caused you to groan is to remind you of the Adamic curse, to remind you that this world in which we work is a fallen world so that you do not get comfortable here. That's the purpose of this. So that you realize that this is not your home, that this is not your place of rest, that this is not your world. You have been redeemed from this world so that even though you are in this world, you are not of this world. You have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. You have died to this fallen age through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You have crucified yourself to this world and you have resurrected unto an age that is to come. Your tears are to remind you of that truth. Your pain is to reinforce it. You belong to another world. 
a world free from the corruption of sin, a world renewed, a world transformed. That's why when we come to the Father, we pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. The longing within the heart of the Christian is for the coming of the kingdom of God, the coming of the new heavens and the new earth, the descent of the new Jerusalem, the reign of the son of David. The purpose of toil, the frustration, the fruitlessness of work in this world is to direct your eyes to the world that is to come. You know, if we're very honest with ourselves, um, I don't know how many of us constantly think about heaven. How many of you guys long for heaven? You guys looking forward to that job? You're looking forward to that raise? You're looking forward to that position? Looking forward to buying a house? Looking forward to a nice retirement? Looking forward to a vacation? How many of us look forward to heaven? We're so easily preoccupied and we're so easily distracted. Easily blinded from the glorious truth that we're going to be glorified. It's for this reason why God allows for us to experience the pain that is this world's curse. He doesn't want us to become complacent. How foolish would we be to neglect that purpose? Um, There's a New York Times article called The Hazards of Growing Up Painlessly. It's about a girl who grew up with without the ability to feel pain. And the, craziest, uh, the story is really crazy. It says, um, there was a time she burned the flesh off the palms of her hands when she was two. John was using a pressure, the father, John was using a pressure washer in the driveway and left its motor running. In the moments that they took their eyes off her, Ashlyn walked over and put her hands on the muffler. When she lifted them up, the skin was seared away. There was the one uh, about the fire ants that swarmed her in the backyard, biting her over a hundred times while she looked at them and yelled, Bugs, bugs. There was a time she broke her ankle, ran around on it for two days before her parents realized something was wrong. And uh, doctors diagnosed the problem as congenital insensitivity to pain. Um, A geneticist by the name of Woods said this, It is an extraordinary disorder. Boys die at a younger age because of more risky behavior. It's quite interesting because it makes you realize pain is there for a number of reasons. And one of them is to use your body correctly without damaging it and modulating what you do. You know, one of the things I hear on a regular basis from people is, why do I suffer? Why do I go through the things that I go through? Why does God allow this to happen to me? And the answer is so that you will use your soul correctly, modulating what you do spiritually. Um, in the same way, physical pain keeps us from endangering ourselves physically. So the suffering we endure emotionally, spiritually, and physically keeps us from endangering ourselves spiritually. And what is that spiritual danger? It's thinking that this place is our home. That's the danger. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see how dangerous that is? I'll read it again. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desire. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the danger that Christians must 
avoid. The danger that many Christians fall into is the danger of loving this world. How many of us know friends who have fell away from the faith because they loved the world too much? They pursued the world too much. Their work was too important to them. It was their idol. They lived for it. They hoped in it. They found their joy in it. The danger that Christians must avoid is the danger that this is all there is to life. Suffering guards you from that damning threat. So when you tread through the drudgeries of work's frustration, endure the verbal abuse from your boss, the manipulation of your colleagues, and the unfair delegation of responsibilities, don't cast your hope on the next job or the next position or the next career. Now, of course, there are some times when you have to change your job, sometimes when you have to quit, but never fool yourself into thinking that that is the solution. Because the ultimate problem is not your job. The ultimate problem is sin. So the ultimate solution is the return of the king. Set your eyes, therefore, on what is to come. This must be the state of your heart. The pain that you suffer at work is to direct your eyes to God and to what is to come in glory. Spurgeon says, The rougher the voyage, the more mariners long for port, and heaven becomes more and more a desired haven as our trials multiply. May you be a people who look to the haven of heaven as you persevere through this world. Let us pray. Our dear God, we thank you that you have sent your son Jesus Christ to redeem us out from this world. We thank you that you have crucified the former man in union with him and by your grace and by your power and by your wisdom you have resurrected us from the dead to now belong to the kingdom that is to come to now be in the domain the dominion of light and god um, i pray that as we work through the difficulty of work as we go through our jobs and um, endure the hardships May we remember that we do not belong here. Give us a heart that longs for the day when you will return. Uh, Give us a heart that longs for the day when the kingdom will be fully realized. The day when we will see our Savior face to face. Help us not to get comfortable, but to know that we live for something more than what we see right before us. God, I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.